Hi everyone, welcome back to the MedBullet Step 1 podcast. In today's episode, we cover the topic of Parkinson's disease drugs found under the neurology section at medbullets.com. Let's begin with a clinical snapshot. A 58-year-old man is brought by his wife due to worsening weakness and fatigue. She describes his movements as quote-unquote sluggish. The patient reports difficulty with typing on his keyboard and buttoning up his pants. On physical exam, there is a pill-rolling tremor at rest that improves with purposeful movement. There's also increased resistance to passive movement at the wrist and elbow. He has started on levodopa and carbidopa. Let's continue with an introduction to Parkinson's disease drugs. Some medications help to increase the amount of L-dopa that is available. Remember that L-dopa is a catecholamine precursor. Medications in this class include levodopa-carbidopa. Remember that carbidopa prevents peripheral conversion of L-dopa into dopamine via dopa decarboxylase. Also remember that this increases L-DOPA delivery into the CNS and that there are decreased side effects from peripheral excess dopamine from DOPA decarboxylation of L-DOPA. These side effects could include nausea and vomiting. Also remember that L-DOPA can cross the blood-brain barrier while carbidopa cannot. And in terms of its toxicity, excess catecholamine production in the periphery may result in arrhythmias. Immediate side effects can also include hallucinations, dizziness, and headache, and chronic use can result in dyskinesia as a post-administration side effect or akinesia as an intradose side effect. Dopamine receptor agonists include bromocryptine, which is an ergot alkaloid, or pramipexil and ropinerol, which are non-ergot medications. There are also drugs that increase dopamine availability. One of these is imantidine, which is an antiviral medication that can improve Parkinsonism. Its mechanism of action is unknown, and possible mechanisms may include an increase in dopamine release from presynaptic neurons or a decrease in dopamine reuptake into presynaptic neurons. Toxicity may result in ataxia and levito reticularis. There are also drugs that prevent dopamine metabolism. This includes the monoamine oxidase type B inhibitors. They prevent degradation of dopamine into 3,4-dihydroxyphenylacetic acid, or DOPAC. Specific medications in this class include selegiline and rosagiline. Another class is catechol O-methyltransferase inhibitors. They prevent the degradation of dopamine into 3-O-methyldopa. Medications in this class include tolcopone, which works peripherally and centrally, or intacopone, which only works peripherally. And the last class is anticholinergics. Remember that under normal conditions, dopamine and acetylcholine are in electrochemical balance in the basal ganglia. There's a decrease in dopamine in Parkinson's disease, which leads to an increase in cholinergic sensitivity. Therefore, Cholinergic medications worsen Parkinson's disease symptoms, and anticholinergics can improve Parkinson's disease symptoms. Medications in this class include benztropine and trihexyphenidyl. Now that we've discussed the major points relating to Parkinson's disease drugs, let's walk through some questions to apply what we've learned and get a sense of how the topic might be tested. For the first question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 59-year-old man is brought to the primary care clinic by his wife for recent behavioral changes. In the past two months, his wife has caught him stimulating his genitals in public on at least five separate occasions. Over the same time frame, he has also taken up online gambling and has lost a large sum of money. He denies any recent cognitive changes. His medical history includes hypertension, for which he takes amlodipine. He was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease three months ago and started on Pramipexil. The patient's temperature is 98.2 degrees Fahrenheit or 36.8 degrees Celsius. Blood pressure is 124 over 80, pulse is 64 beats per minute, and respirations are 16 breaths per minute. Physical exam reveals an irate-appearing man who loudly proclaims his annoyance at the long wait. 
His fingers exhibit a slow tremor at rest. What is the most likely diagnosis? And the answer choices are, choice one, Alzheimer dementia. Choice two, frontal temporal dementia. Choice three, histrionic personality disorder. Choice four, Kluver-Busey syndrome. Or choice five, medication side effect. The best answer to this question is, choice five, medication side effect. This patient's presentation with sudden behavioral changes that are indicative of impaired impulse control, such as hypersexuality and pathological gambling, in the setting of the recent initiation of dopamine agonist therapy, suggests the development of an impulse control disorder. Impulse control disorders are a known side effect of dopamine agonist therapy. There are three main dopaminergic pathways in the central nervous system, consisting of the nigrostriatal pathway, mesocorticolimbic pathway, and tuberoinfundibular pathway. Parkinson's disease is caused by degeneration of the nigrostriatal pathway. Thus, dopamine agonists such as pramipexil, ropinrol, or bromocryptine are used in the initial treatment of Parkinson's disease, especially in younger patients. However, these drugs also activate the mesocorticolimbic pathway, which controls the reward system. This agonism is thought to amplify existing behavioral tendencies, leading to compulsive reward-seeking behavior that can manifest as hypersexuality, pathologic gambling, and or compulsive shopping. Patients and caretakers should receive education on these potential side effects when dopamine agonist therapy is initiated. If an impulse control disorder develops, dopamine agonist therapy should be tapered until the impulse control disorder resolves. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice one, Alzheimer's dementia can present with behavioral changes in the later stages, which commonly include agitation, aggression, and psychosis. The hallmark of early Alzheimer's dementia is memory changes. Hypersexuality and pathologic gambling would be unexpected. Choice two, frontal temporal dementia can present with disinhibition and compulsive behaviors due to damage of the brain areas responsible for executive function. Other findings such as cognitive changes, apathy, loss of sympathy, and or hyperorality may be present. However, the diagnosis of frontal temporal dementia requires the exclusion of other disorders that could account for the behavioral disturbances and medication side effect is a more likely explanation given the timing of symptoms in this patient. Choice three, histrionic personality disorder is characterized by a pervasive pattern of emotional overreaction, attention-seeking, and seductive behavior beginning in early adulthood. Inappropriate sexually seductive or provocative behavior is common. The timing of this patient's behavioral changes, that is the relation to the initiation of dopamine agonist therapy, is more consistent with the medication side effect. Choice four, Kluver-Busey syndrome is a rare neurological disorder characterized by apathy, visual agnosia, hypersexuality, and or hyperorality due to bilateral amygdala lesions. The timing and relation of this patient's behavioral changes to the initiation of dopamine agonist therapy are more consistent with the medication side effect. Finally, a bullet summary. Impulse control disorders such as hypersexuality, pathologic gambling, and or compulsive shopping are known side effects of dopamine agonist therapy such as from pramipexil, ropinerol, and bromocryptine. For the second question, consider the following clinical scenario. A 28-year-old man presents to an infertility clinic because he has been trying to conceive for the last two years without success. His wife is also getting evaluated. However, she has a child from a previous marriage. After evaluation, the man is found to have increased serum levels of a hormone produced by acidophilic cells in the anterior pituitary gland. Given these findings, he is prescribed a drug that functions as a direct receptor agonist. Which of the following diseases could this drug also be used for? 
and the answer choices are Choice 1, acute heart failure. Choice 2, hypertension. Choice 3, Parkinson's disease. Choice 4, shock. Or choice 5, wide-angle glaucoma. The best answer to this question is choice 3, Parkinson's disease. This patient with infertility and an elevated prolactin level was most likely prescribed the direct D2 dopamine receptor agonist bromocryptine. This drug can also be used in the treatment of Parkinson's disease. Dopamine is a neurotransmitter that has two main receptors in the brain. The D1 receptor is linked to the G-alpha-S second messenger pathway, and the D2 receptor is linked to the G-alpha-I second messenger pathway. Notably, the D2 receptor pathway is important in suppression of pituitary hormone production as well as in basal ganglia function. A defect in either of these pathways can result in disease states. Loss of prolactin suppression by D2 can lead to overactivity of prolactin and infertility. Loss of D2 function in the nigrostriatal pathway will result in Parkinsonian features. The direct D2 agonist bromocryptine can therefore be used in both of these diseases. Let's also discuss why the other choices are incorrect. Choice 1. Acute heart failure can be treated with the inotrope dobutamine. However, this drug functions as a beta-adrenergic agonist. Choice 2. Hypertension can be treated with phenaldopam. However, this drug functions as a selective D1 agonist rather than a D2 agonist. Choice 4. Shock can be treated with norepinephrine and dopamine. However, these drugs would not be used in the treatment of hyperprolactinemia because they are not selective for D2 receptors. Choice 5. Wide-angle glaucoma can be treated with phenylephrine. However, this drug functions as an alpha-1 agonist. Finally, a bullet summary. The D2 agonist bromocryptine can be used to treat hyperprolactinemia and Parkinson's disease. That's all for this review about Parkinson's disease drugs. We hope that was helpful. This is the MedBullet Step 1 podcast, a daily audio review session for MedBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for medical student education. As a reminder, you can follow along with these podcast episodes by reviewing the topics directly on MedBullets.com. You can listen to these episodes on the MedBullets website or phone app while reading through the topic. If the MedBullets podcast has been valuable to you, we'd be thrilled if you consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on Apple Podcasts. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you all tomorrow, right here on the MedBullets Step 1 podcast.